Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me this week from the Netflix and Swill podcast are Caleb and Dan. Welcome back to the pod, guys. How are you doing tonight? Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you for joining me. It's always a delight to talk to you guys. Uh, You guys were uh, on the top five Netflix original films back in December. So today is not going to be as intense. We'll just be reviewing one Netflix film, specifically the latest Chris Hemsworth action vehicle, Extraction. So we'll start with a brief spoiler-free thoughts on the film and then run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And as always, we will finish with a point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of Extraction. Tyler Rake, a fearless black market mercenary, embarks on the most deadly extraction of of his career when he's enlisted to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord. Extraction stars Chris Hemsworth. I'm going to butcher these names, but Rudrakash Jaiswal and Randeep Hooda. I did my best. Fucking nailed it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It is written by Joe Russo and directed by Sam Hargrave. I'm pretty sure I got those ones right. I don't know. It might be Rousseau. It's actually Hargrave. Hargrave? (laughs) Joe Rousseau and Sam Hargrave. They're hoping if you spin the chamber enough times, you're going to catch a bullet. This is an extraction. So who the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. <laughs> Some mythic shit, huh? It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life is of six hours ago. So, guys, this is through and through just a pretty classic action film. There is the bare minimum requirements for a plot, and it's not exactly what you would call highbrow art. But, you know, you come for the action, you come for the fight choreography, and you come for Chris Hemsworth smoldering his way through India. What's your general inclination towards action films? Like, do you generally like these types of films? I do. I I like I like old school action movies i kind of got out of newer action movies um dan made me watch john wick i haven't seen the second or third ones but um i mean i don't know this uh this movie's kind of like rambo does taken (laughs) i guess so uh, it was fun i don't know yeah dan so you made caleb watch john wick do you like john wick and do you like movies like that uh, I mostly like action movies. Mm-hmm. They're, there's, they're those kind of movies that you go to the movie theater, uh, in the biggest format possible. Uh, and you have all the gunshots, like explode your eardrums for you. And that's, that's kind of what I wanted here. Although of course this is, this being on Netflix, you're never going to get that. But like, yeah, I, I like a good action movie. Like John Wick's good. The Mission Impossibles are good. Mad Max Fury Road. But like, then you get like the, the threadbare, like, Hey, we just have a plot that that connects action scenes like and set pieces. And that's kind of what this was ultimately. I it although it did feel like it wanted to be more than that. Uh mm-hmm. it, it the script itself failed in in that aspect. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially that part where it feels like it wanted to be a little more. But I think ultimately this film because I did just had that sort of like action film mindset the script problems didn't really bother me too much. When I was reflecting back on the film, I couldn't really think of that many negatives of the film. It just wasn't like some film that blew my mind or anything like that. And I right. I want to compare this a little bit to John Wick. So, Dan, you said that Caleb made you watch John Wick. Um, reverse it. Yeah. Drop, drop it down, flip it, and reverse it. <laughs> so, Caleb, you made Dan watch it, correct? That, that's what you just said. Fuck. Dan. Dan, Dan made me watch it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So um what do you like how does this compare to something like John Wick in your mind? I don't know. It's definitely trying to be on that level. Like this movie ultimately is fairly average. Um mm-hmm. but 
I don't know. Like you can definitely see the inspiration there. Like the, I don't know. I'm trying to not shit on it too hard, but like you have like the, the tight end shots and stuff, which I think me and Dan kind of assumed they're trying to hide the fact that it's a stunt man in a lot of the shots because mm-hmm. like the camera is so zoomed in, but um, it's not just like a bunch of quick cuts either. So it's something that's actually watchable, but it's nowhere near as fluid and uh, kind of refined as John Wick. Yeah. Well, so the director, Sam Hargrave, is a stunt coordinator. Uh, he's worked with the Russos on like Captain America Civil War and Avengers Endgame. And I think you can kind of tell that he's a stuntman. Like you you mentioned, it. there aren't a ton of those cuts. And it's a little shaky and like kind of close in to, you know, prevent you from telling that that's not exactly Chris Hemsworth or something like that. But I think there is like a similar purposefulness in the action, like when you compare it to something like John Wick. Yeah. And that's what, uh, there's no flourishes. Like it's very kinetic and like to the point, mm-hmm. like this is stuff that, you would actually do if you were trying to kill a lot of people as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, on that note, there definitely is a lot of death in this film, and it's it's really, oh, really yeah. violent, which was a little refreshing, honestly, I thought. Maybe that's a weird way to put it, yeah. but, like, it was shockingly um, efficient. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't pull its punches. Like, I, I'd like to rewatch this movie and do a body count on it uh, I think there is. I think they said 183 is is the count Jesus that I've seen. Christ. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend and I had a joke about like that we should take a shot every time Chris Hemsworth kills somebody, but that would you'd, you'd be, be dead. dead. You die. Yeah. yeah, you'd be dead, guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Pundu Boo Boo. <laughs> That's you mispronounce the actor's name, Dan. No, sorry, Maddie. We're 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 doing stupid jokes. Yeah, I have stupid. no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. You you and everybody else who <laughs> listens to our show when we do some jokes just have no idea what we're saying. Okay. Um. So, I mean, I don't want to, like, directly compare John Wick to Extraction too much because they are, you know, different movies and it's not necessarily right. fair. But something that I think I like more about this film than John Wick is that John Wick feels very cold and even though there is a lot of murder in this film the film does have even if it's at a surface level it has kind of a little more heart than a film like john wick and maybe that's just because you can kind of really see the strings in john wick of oh how do we give this guy the bare minimum motivation so that the audience will be like it's okay that he murdered all these people sure whereas in yeah and it's by killing a dog right (laughs) Like, that's very manipulative, and it, it works, like, to an extent, but then John Wick Chapter 2 is like, are you still killing people because of the dog? I, I'm not sure what's going on. But I feel like in this, at least the action is a, and the violence is a little bit justified because he's on a mission to, like, get a kid out of a pretty difficult predicament. Yeah, and I, I feel like this kind of makes the opposite mistake. Where, like, instead of doing the, the bare minimum, they tried to do more than... Like they were willing to put in the effort to do, you know what I mean? Like uh, if they would have taken the time and kind of developed the relationship with him and the kid more, Mm -hmm. like the payoff of it would have been a lot more satisfying. Yes. Yeah. And I think also kind of like Chris Hemsworth's backstory and everything or Tyler Rake's backstory is almost just a little too fleshed out that it makes you want more because it's not the bare minimum. But it's a little more, so you're like, okay, well, if you're going to try and do more than the bare minimum, you need to do more than that. Right. Yeah, like, I mean, this at the start of the movie, which, uh, w- just to talk about the movie itself as opposed to, like, the theory of it, but, like, we start at the beginning, uh, except we don't, because we do uh, a thing that takes place during the climax of the movie, and then we cut to two days earlier, which... uh is our least favorite tactic in a movie. Just start at the beginning of your story. Don't, you know, drop us in at some random point and just say, oh, here's here's this moment you have to look forward to. And then, you know, stop, start over, and, you know, uh, carry yourself through the movie that way. Right. But, 
we like we see this whole like flashback thing uh with like the ha- this hazy filter like this really out of focus shot of this like little boy walking on the beach and you're like oh that must be his kid that he's thinking of uh, and you know it you you get that enough in the movie that you're like okay well what what happens here and then when you when you understand what happens you're just like oh really that's it that's that's all there is <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, to the credit of Chris Hemsworth, at least, I do think that he delivers quite a bit with what he's given. Um, it's a really, really pat and basic story. But I, I think another thing that I like over John Wick is that I think Chris Hemsworth is a more engaging actor than Keanu Reeves. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I, I th- honestly <laughs> think Chris Hemsworth is a little better than this movie deserves just because he does have that good chemistry with the kid even though there's not that much there and he does have a way of being able to bring out real emotion like it kind of reminds me of that scene in infinity war when he's talking to rocket about basically how thor's whole family is dead uh and he's like a really tragic character if you stop and think about it for a second Mm. i I think chris hemsworth does have a way to kind of elevate the material a little bit but i agree that there's not enough for you know anything other than the action to elevate this movie in my mind i i almost feel like maybe this is chris hemsworth like tiptoeing into like more kind of serious roles like thor like he he is sort of a tragic character in that way like you said but like he's hilarious in those movies Mm -hmm. like those are very much like comedy action but like maybe this is him trying to do something that's low stakes. It's a fucking Netflix movie, but like try to expand his portfolio a bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because he's always done these kind of side projects like, you know, he did in the heart of the sea with Ron Howard and also rush. And then he did that like Michael Mann movie, black hat and all of these random movies. And they tend to never really be good. Like he tends to only be good in the MCU. And I mean, I obviously haven't seen all of those things because I've heard pretty bad things about most of them. I think he's really great in Rush. I love that movie. Um, But other than that, he doesn't really, both financially and just kind of like as an actor, really bring it in movies that aren't in the MCU. And I think that this one is a step in the right direction where like he's actually kind of elevating, like he's probably one of the best parts of this movie. Oh, for sure. But like, how many? Like, I could say that about like Anthony Mackie as well. Uh, like, I I don't think Anthony Mackie's a particularly strong actor outside of the MCU. Like, I mm-hmm. I've watched enough of his stuff where I'm like, yeah. I I mean, I just know you as Clarence from fucking Eight Mile, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like all of your other stuff, you're just like, like even and even in that, he's average. I think he's probably even getting acted around uh, by Eminem. Like, I think Eminem's putting out a better performance than he is. So like. I I don't know I, I it, it's it has to be something with the MCU where it's, it like elevates these actors but then when they step outside that comfort zone it's just like oh well I mean they're fine I guess like I mean I mean you still have your your Robert Downey Juniors your Elizabeth Olsens your Scarlett Johansons who like I I actually even think like Scarlett Johansson elevates her game outside of the MCU as right. opposed to uh you know having the MCU raise her game itself but like you you still have some established actors and other actors who are just like okay, the MCU made us and like, this is fine for us and we're good with this. But, you know, we, I think we start seeing with, with uh, Chris Evans, like, I like Chris Evans. I don't think of him as a star, but I, I really like Chris Evans in a lot of his roles. Like, you know, not another teen movie, Scott Pilgrim, Knives Out. Mm-hmm. But like, I love him as Captain I America. I fucking loved him in Knives Out. Yeah, he is really great in Knives Out. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's an interesting thing like that. And and I don't think it's necessarily that you can only see him as Thor. I never in this movie was like, oh, Chris Hemsworth, I'm watching Thor. I, I did very much believe that he was the <laughs> character that he was portraying. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not that, but you're right. It is something. And maybe it's just like the acting style or I, I think with Chris Hemsworth specifically, he does comedy really well because he's such like an attractive looking person. So it's really funny to watch him be kind of goofy and a lot of his projects outside of the mcu i feel like are missing that sort of touch this film has a little bit of it he's obviously brooding but there is a couple things that kind of 
poke fun at certain things, whether it's the guy's name is Rake and he kills somebody with a rake. I think that that is like just enough to kind of give him that charm that may be missing in some of his other projects. This movie has a few scenes that just kind of end like uh, whenever the kid is like, oh, your your last name's Rake. Isn't that a gardening tool? Yeah. And then like the scene just cuts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then same with uh, when he's like, you look like a Logan or whatever. Brad, I think is what he says. Yeah. He calls him that he looks like a Brad. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to I Caleb. I think you were the one that was mentioning that opening scene. Um, oh no, that was me. Oh, okay, sorry, Dan. So you mentioned that opening scene where it kind of s- just starts in the thick of the action. When I saw that, and maybe it's just because of the Netflix of it all, and how I know that like Netflix is notorious for kind of having this algorithmic approach to watching and making films and things like that. Um, it felt very much to me like someone was like, you need to put a scene in the beginning that has Chris Hemsworth in it because the first 10 minutes Mm. of the movie after that don't have Chris Hemsworth in it. And it's like just essentially just a bunch of unknown Indian actors for 10 minutes. And I could very easily see somebody watching the film or like, oh, let's check out this new Chris Hemsworth film. What the hell is this? Why is this just some random movie in a different language? Sure. But I would also argue that Netflix isn't the only one that does that. Like, that happens with countless other movies oh, right. that, yeah. that, that get put out in the theaters. My problem with it is, like, if you're going to do such a thing, like, have him on a mission that isn't this. Like, put him on, have him do something else. Don't drop him, don't drop your audience into the middle of the movie and just be like, oh, okay, well, he, here's here's a thing that's going to happen two hours from now. Come up with like a, a five minute scenario where he's, you know, extracting somebody else and maybe the mission goes wrong or or maybe like he uh, is looking to sacrifice himself there. Like set up something to be played uh, played out later in the movie and not just like copy paste something from the end of your movie at the beginning. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I completely agree. And it's definitely not just a Netflix thing, but for some reason, because it's on netflix and you know almost that a lot of people on netflix will check something out for a couple minutes and then decide whether they want to keep going or not oh yeah they changed their whole viewing statistics over such a thing right and so it feels almost um a little more obvious because of that but i I agree that i hate that thing like i mean even in movies that i actually really really like like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I don't know why that's the first one that comes to mind, but that one does that same stupid thing where it starts in the middle and it even has that, you're probably wondering how I got here. Um, yeah. Dumb thing. But Oh, and then they go back to it and it's like, oh, and, and now you're all caught up. Let's stop the movie a second time so I can tell you you're caught up to what I showed you at the beginning. Yeah, and it's not even, I mean, we're just going on a Sonic the Hedgehog tangent now, but like, it's not even... <laughs> In any, like, really all that interesting part of the movie. I mean, I guess it's sort of in the climax, but not really. Like, it's in the climax before the climax, because there's a whole other action piece after that, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, it's right. Like, it's it's a downbeat in the action of the climax, which makes no like, if you're going to put him in like a cliffhangery situation, actually have there be a cliffhangery situation where like, you can cut you can like show how he gets to this you know show shows how he gets into the cliffhanger situation then then go two days earlier yeah maybe that's not still that's still not the best because you're still doing the two days earlier thing but like you're at least like raising the tension and be like holy fuck how does he get out of this and then you have your audience waiting for two hours to figure out how he gets out of it right yeah are we really mad about sonic or do we not want to talk about extraction <laughs> well, i'm talking about extraction in this point where with with the like the, the uh, that intro is just so bad. It's so bad. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a pretty bad intro. And I also have a huge bone to pick with the ending, too. But we'll obviously need to go into spoilers for that. Oh, yes. I just have one overall question that I'm curious about your guys' opinion on since you are so steeped in everything Netflix. This film was number one, according like in the U.S., according to the Netflix top 10 feature on mm-hmm. the Saturday after its release. How confident are you that the top 10 feature thing is a real thing? Because I am very skeptical of it. Oh, I'm very confident in that. I mean, Tiger King was the number one thing in Netflix for 29 days and 
based off of all the memes, everyone talking about it, and also the fact that they put out a, an eighth episode or eighth or eight or ninth episode uh, in under the same thing, boosted it up to such a level. So yeah, I'm, it may, you know, maybe like the overall top ten isn't the best thing, like best kind of representation. I mean, <laughs> Despicable Me. Oh, hi on young. Despicable Me is the thing that knocked off Tiger King, uh, of course, but like. Overall, I'm fairly confident that like what they're showing is what is actually, you know, going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just have such a hard time believing that that many people have watched Ozark season three, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know anybody who's seen Ozark season three. I'm sure you guys have. It just seems like a lot oh, well, of the there's stuff. No, is... There's numbers to back this all up. They, uh, they, they're projecting uh, 29 million people to have seen Ozark season three, which like. That doesn't seem like a lot for a top 10, but like being that Tiger King is only around 64 million, that kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. Like Tiger King is far and away the most popular thing that was out at the time. Now, of course, it doesn't beat Spencer Confidential with 85 million people, which uh, is absurd to me. Yeah, I, I just like I don't know anybody in my actual life that watched Spencer. I guess I know one person, but it. it I don't know something about the top ten feature. Like, do you guys generally like that feature? Uh, do you, I mean, I'm sure you find it really useful for determining what's popular, right, and deciding what's on the po- going to be on the podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. If if we watch something and it's like not anywhere near the top spot or like not on the list at all, usually we'll just be like, "Well, shit, we we messed up. Sorry, this is going to be a bad show, everybody." Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I guess I guess we could say that with every episode. Well, I mean, that's true. But I mean, like, we, we look at it as more like validation, like, oh, we're talking about Tiger King, and it's number one right now. Uh, like, last week, we talked about The Big Show Show, and that was, like, barely, like, hanging on in, like, the top ten of, like, their TV shows. Like, that was number ten. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, so maybe this wasn't the best idea, but I mean, we had fun. Okay, so when Extraction comes on as, like, number one in the U.S. on the Saturday after it's released, do you feel that buzz on the internet about extraction or like i mean i i think something like tiger king was so sensational that you you obviously see that reflected in culture just in general mm-hmm. but like did I, I guess i'm just wondering did you notice like discussions uh, about extraction or things like that i saw people i saw people on reddit talking about it i didn't see like any good Tyler Rake memes or anything, if that's what you're asking. But I mean, for myself, I tend to avoid any conversations on things before we talk about them. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, specifically with like main review topics, I try to avoid any kind of review discussion. Like, typically, if I see someone like retweet, like, like Netflix is notorious for like retweeting, like, oh, I really loved Extraction, or I really loved Nailed It Season 4, or I really loved uh, this show that no one's fucking heard of, Turn Up Charlie. Like, they'll, they'll retweet those, and I'll be like, all right, uh, ignore, ignore, it's just Netflix pumping themselves up. But then, like, you'll see, you know, somebody tweet out, like, oh, I was never going to check out Extraction before, but then I saw this this article from this person, and now I'm really excited to check it out. I'm like, and I, 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 I avoid those. I, I don't want my, my views tainted. And mm-hmm. sometimes my views do get tainted by other people who are just like, ah, I really like this thing. Ah, I really didn't like this thing. Like, yeah, that sucks. I, I'd rather just give my unadulterated opinion. Yeah, I definitely do the same. I, I guess it's just, I mean, maybe it's just because everything is so diluted that even the top one thing on Netflix on any given day doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a sensational media, like cross-media popular thing maybe it's just that a lot of people yeah, are, when, are watching it at that given i don't know whenever you have 10 million different things to watch in your platform like if five people like five percent of people watch extraction that could still be the number one thing because mm-hmm. you right. have seven million other movies yeah yeah that makes sense all right so let's go ahead and just summarize our thoughts here and uh i'll have you guys rate this film out of 10 and then i mean i know you guys don't do ratings so i'm sorry but, oh, we do. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, I don't, I don't know if Caleb oh, likes duh, doing Yeah, them. of course you do. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I forgot. Um, How dare you? <laughs> um, anyway, so, well, then I will ask you for a rating out of 10 about the film, and then we can move into spoilers to talk about, like, 
some of the weird, the kind of the ambiguous ending maybe, and then also the slight, what you could call a plot twist halfway through the film. So sure. uh, Dan, why don't you start us off, just summarize your thoughts here and then give a score out of 10. Uh, I think John Wick itself, because I never really talked about this, but uh, John Wick itself, I think, has ruined action movies for the most part. Uh, Caleb talked about it with like the camera in too tight on your main star to, as to make it not look like it's it's uh, a stunt man. It, it's actually it's supposed to be your main star. Uh, I, I much prefer the the pulled back camera, the the let me see all of the action in its glory, and I know it'll look like highly choreographed and that kind of stuff. Uh, in that kind of a sense, this movie has been ruined because of mm -hmm. stuff like John Wick. Uh, there's that 12-minute, roughly, uh, one-shot sequence, which is pretty great. Really, really impressed by that, especially by a first-time director. Uh, but ultimately, the way the trailer marketed this is that it would be an action movie with a little something more. And the something more was uh, done in by a very lackluster script. And I know, like, it's, it's threadbare enough to get you through to from point A to point B, but there's still that emotional core that was supposed to be at the center of the movie, and I just never felt it. So, uh, six out of ten. All right. What about you, Caleb? There's a lot of things that I think this movie did pretty well, um, but really it ends up being just kind of average. Mm, I don't know. There, There's, like, bits and pieces of great movies in here. Like, there's... Uh, a little bit of stuff from like Taken, a little bit of stuff from something like The Raid, uh, but ultimately it never really gelled into being like great. I don't know. Do you do half? Yeah, points yeah. or uh, I was gonna say six and a half out of ten. It's it's good. It, like I don't dislike this movie by any means, but I did just kind of want it to be more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm pretty similar to you guys. I Maybe it's just my own personal rating system or whatever, but I would give this a seven just for pretty similar reasons. Like, I think this is a solid movie, and I think that because there are so many really, really bad action movies where you will watch something and be like, I can't follow anything, I can't follow the action not only is the action boring, it doesn't look good and it mm -hmm. is clearly staged and all this stuff. I think this one is competent enough because of that stunt coordinator's background being the director and everything like that, that I found a little more to appreciate in this movie than the average blockbuster or I mean, at least the average, you know, action film. And I really do like Chris Hemsworth in that lead role. So yeah, I would, I would give it a seven out of 10. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and say that we're going to go into spoilers. So spoilers for Extraction starting now. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. Uh, all right. So the first kind of, I guess, spoiler that I want to talk about is the plot twist that happens halfway through the movie where Sanju, who you see is kind of supposed to be friends with the um, the kid that Tyler is trying to ex extract, he ends up kind of trying to cut off the extraction so that the um, the drug dealer father doesn't have to actually pay the extraction team for the extraction. Mm -hmm. Um how do you guys feel about that in the like in the moment? I mean, it was they set it up like it was fairly obvious that's what was going to happen. So yeah, um, I don't know. I'm I'm mad about the cool sniper guy getting dusted. Yeah, you that, know was, that was actually the director. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> G was the director. Um, that's pretty cool. I, I I liked it. Like it was obvious, but I liked the way that it was set up. Like yes. Like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like, we don't have the money to get them. Well, yeah, of course. And, and like, I'm talking to my girlfriend on the couch, and she's like, why is he doing this? I'm like, well, they don't have the money to pay the extraction team, so they have the upfront money, and he's just going to take out the extraction team to not pay the rest. Yeah, because all his assets were frozen. It's obvious, but I liked it. Like, it, it, it was a good, like, we didn't need the head drug guy, drug guy to be, like, the the big bad for the entire movie like we can have an antagonistic force who's still looking to do the same thing as our our main our main hero 
Mm-hmm. I like that it makes the film have a slight wrinkle that makes it a little bit less straightforward without kind of being so overly complicated that it doesn't really make sense. Right. And then I also like that it kind of culminates in Chris Hemsworth's character teaming up with the Sanju character at the end. I thought that that was the one saving grace in a film that otherwise can be read as look at the white guy coming in and to this like, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> look, other look, country at, uh, and look like, at the power of imperialism. Right. And like it, it, this film kind of has a white savior aspect to it a little bit. And I think by having Sanju be in part of the action at the end, I think that that does help alleviate that a little bit. So I did like that. Yeah, I like that character a lot. Um, I I like that he wasn't just a straight up villain. Like he he ends up being more of an anti-hero. So. Right. Like he actually has depth. Like he's doing it for his family more than anything else. Like I, I, I said it in our show, but like if... I understand we have to have star power in Chris Hemsworth to get people to watch this, but like if the movie was just Sanju running around murking dudes instead of Tyler Rake, I would have been yeah. just fine with that. Yeah, uh, that actor's name is Rondeep Huda, and I want him to become a big action star yeah. so they can watch all of his movies. There was even a point in this movie where I had to stop and be like, wait a minute. Am I rooting for Sanju or am I rooting for Tyler Rake? Like, it sort of now seems that Tyler Rake is kind of just take, taking advantage of this kid and using him for money. Don't I kind of want Sanju's kid to not die? And I, I was almost a little confused by what the film was, who the film was asking me to root for um, at <laughs> some point. And then ultimately it does kind of come together when you realize that Chris Hemsworth is actually doing this for the right reasons and he, right. he cares about the kid to make sure he's safe and you know, all that stuff. But I, I do like that Sanju has some sympathy and that he isn't just an outright villain. Right. So the, okay, let's talk a little bit about the ending of the film. I guess for whoever's listening to this and like hasn't seen the film, basically what happens is that Tyler Ray gets shot in the neck and then he kind of falls into the river and then it cuts to like two years or nine months or whatever amount of time later. Yeah. And the the kid that he has saved, Ovi, he is holding his breath underwater after going off the high dive, which kind of reflects Chris Hemsworth's character doing that in the beginning of the film. And then he comes up and in the blurry background, you see a blonde white guy that could potentially be Tyler Rake. So the ambiguous ending is, oh, did Tyler Rake die when he fell off the bridge or did he not? Um, okay, well, let me first ask, what do you guys just think about in general this type of ending for this type of film really dumb okay yes. <laughs> yeah. you you attempt to have this emotional core of tyler and and ovi's relationship which never really gets fully fleshed out because like right before the third act tyler refers to ovi basically as a thing like, like as a job for money and then all of a sudden in the third act it's like oh we've become we've become like this friendly like group like you're like almost a father figure type character to me uh, in terms of like how Ovi views Tyler and it's like that's not how this movie's portrayed them at all to this point so I don't understand that so like you get this emotional release when Tyler gets shot through the neck of like Ovi just like completely losing it because he's losing like this father figure that he that he's had throughout the movie uh and then you cheapen it by showing a white blonde possibly Australian man in a very blurry background of a shot. And it's like, fuck off, come on. Also, real quick, uh, <laughs> the the drug guy, uh, he gets murked by uh, Tyler's handler at the end of the movie in what seems like a very vengeance, like revenge-motivated kill. And it's like, well, if Tyler's not dead, why do like a kill like that where you, you kill him and then shoot him three or four more times when he's on the ground in order to make an emphatic statement? Like, it doesn't make any sense. That was all well put. I have a ton of other just problems with this ending. And I think the main one is that like the fact that this movie has this type of ending makes me question whether the movie knows what type of movie it is. Because to me, this movie is like I'm kind of a dumb action movie with cool fight scenes, not a film that's like trying to make me think about what the ending means. And I feel like it's almost a little embarrassing that the film is like, ooh, ambiguity. What do you think happens? It's like, no, I, I, I don't care. I want, 
Right. I, I want a, a Pat story, and I think that it makes sense for him to die because he got shot through the fucking neck and fell into the water. So that's that. But also from like whatever the emotional thread line of this film is, it, it makes sense for him to die and for him to like realize the sins of his past and blah, 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 and, and sacrifice himself for this kid who could be a stand in for his own son or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. They. I feel like they wanted to do Extraction Cinematic Universe. They're, like, leaving it open potentially for a sequel. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, like, do you want to know if Tyler Rake is alive or not? The answer is, it depends on how many people watch this movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I... I uh... When I've watched this, me and my girlfriend like looked this up because we were just like, that was such a weird way to end this movie that was otherwise really just really straightforward. And so there's an interview um, on Collider.com with uh, Sam Hargrave, the director, and he talks a little bit about this. And he mentions that the original ending of the script was that it explicitly showed that Tyler was going to die. And then they tested that uh, ending with audiences and they found out that the reactions were pretty much split down the middle between whether people were okay with him dying versus not dying. So what they did was they made it ambiguous so that the audience could more or less pick their own ending and they could kind of have it both ways, which is dumb. Yeah. I mean, if you're a director, just just go with like if you're a director and you have Netflix who basically gives you carte blanche to do whatever the fuck you want, take it. Like, do what you want. Like, if you want Tyler to be alive, have him be alive. If you want him to be dead, have him be dead. You know, it's it's totally up to you and your creative team how you want to handle such a thing. Yeah, so that's actually a good point because later in the uh, article, they mentioned that, so there's a quote from Hargave that says that he, in his mind, he he likes the thought of Tyler dying because that's the choice that he made in the present to save the kid or whatever. And then he says, quote, a very astute thing was suggested by the head of Netflix original films, Scott Stuber. His point was well taken. Fantastic. And I'll remember this forever. You have to remember the difference between an intellectually satisfying ending and an emotionally satisfying ending. And so we struggled with this concept of is it more emotionally satisfying that Rake lives or that Rake dies? And truthfully, the vote was it's more emotionally satisfying than he lives uh, because the kid gave him something to live for. And now he's living for that. So basically what you see in the movie is a compromise because a lot of us who are in the original camp didn't want him to survive. A lot in the new camp wanted him to survive. We tested it and it was down the middle. So we're like, hey, we'll give you the best of both worlds. We're going to have this ambiguous ending where you can choose your own adventure. So to me, that seems like Netflix, which again is not solely a Netflix thing. I mean, studios do this all the time, mm -hmm. but Netflix mandating a note that says, hey, we want this possibility open in the future, should it be an option. That's interesting because that goes against everything I've heard up until this point. The Netflix really doesn't like explicitly tell directors what to do in in terms of like shows or movies. They're just like, do whatever you want. Like here's a check, here's the budget you've asked for. Do whatever you want within that budget and go. So that that's that's very interesting to me. Yeah. Because that changes the whole paradigm at Netflix now. Yeah, that is really weird because you're right. I mean, isn't that sort of the draw that creators like Martin Scorsese have towards Netflix? I right. wonder if it's because the thing that is the like hot commodity of this movie is Chris Hemsworth, not the director or the vision. Uh, and it's like the the name Joe Russo and the name Chris Hemsworth. So I, I, I don't know. I uh, Maybe they're a little more concerned that the film needs to be accessible to like a cinematic universe or something like that. Well, then they should have been more concerned about coffee and Kareem as opposed to this movie, because this movie was fine. <laughs> uh, the one last thing that I do want to mention, because I just thought that it was really funny is the fight scene between Chris Hemsworth and a bunch of children, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> it was a weird choice, but it was really <laughs> funny to watch him slap that kid. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah 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 Yeah. he only open hand slaps them yeah <laughs> and and he throws them like he doesn't like pick them up over his head and throw them but he, he like kind of steven seagal's them with a keto almost he just like uses their own momentum against themselves and just like puts them down that way like he's not he's not explicitly trying to hurt them he's just trying to move 
and get out of the way because they have guns and knives and machetes. Yeah, and I think that that scene goes to the point that I was kind of trying to make about this film is that the action does seem like, if not amazingly choreographed like something like John Wick, it at least has a purpose and some thought behind it. And it's very clear that the director and the people involved were like, how can we make this relatively fresh? You know, like that there is a it, it's not just Rambo five or whatever, you know, or taken four. it. It feels like there is a little bit of novelty to some of that action, along with like the the one shot that you mentioned, Dan. Like I, so there are little pieces of this film that I think are pretty great in that aspect. Yeah. I mean, it's a first time director. He's going to find his own voice. Like, you know, maybe he'll write his own action script or, you know. Maybe he'll feel more confident in in his own vision and not need a, a note from a Netflix executive saying like, "Hey, what would it maybe maybe consider this other kind of ending?" You know, maybe maybe he'll just feel more strength in his own convictions. Like, no, no, what we're doing is right, and maybe he'll you know craft some better action scenes, or maybe like the the moments in between the action scenes will will get crisp crisped up. Like, you know, it's it's for a first time director, it it's not bad. No, yeah, definitely. One can hope that it'll only get better from here. So, I I mean, I think he he did enough to be like, oh, I will watch an action movie by this guy again if it's free on my Netflix account. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, let's move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Caleb, why don't you start us out? Uh, What have you been watching in the uh, uh, stay-at-home pandemic? I've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation for the very (laughs) first time. I just had somebody recently on the podcast, I think it was Ryan Terry, say that, like, just talk about how much he loved that and how he's rewatching it. I have never seen it. Uh, it's interesting. I, I went to college for philosophy because I didn't want to have a career. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, like it, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of like ponderer type episodes like uh it makes you think about the nature of life, especially with uh, Data, because he's like an android that wants to be human. And so there's a lot of episodes that deal with like, is he truly alive or is he like, you know, just a robot, like a trash can walking around and talking to people? I don't know. It's cool. It's a cool show. So does this ever happen to you with films that you like watch for the first time that are older and or, you know, TV shows or whatever, where you watch something and it was novel at the time, but because it was so defining of that time, it feels less novel because there's so many other iterations of it. Like, are there episodes where you go, oh, wait, this is exactly like that one movie from the 2000s or that one TV show (laughs) from the 2010s? That actually hasn't happened too much with Star Trek. Like, I don't know. I guess the closest thing I could compare it to is Doctor Who. But like Doctor Who is so ingrained with British culture that like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it just feels completely different. But um, I guess like the most negative part about it for me is like because this was made in the, like the mid 90s on a TV budget where they had to do a new episode every week and like. A lot of the effects are pretty hokey, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It It is what it is. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. upset with it. I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, like, practical puppet effects and stuff, but you can tell that it's just uh, a guy that they put, like, a like a bunch of, like, carpet on a suit and, like, stuck some red eyes <laughs> and, like, googly eyes and shit on it. But eh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. You got to use your imagination a little bit with it. Yeah, yeah. So Caleb actually talks about this a lot on our show because it, it, this is on Netflix right now. But the way I understand it is like this show is fairly philosophical with not a lot of action. And nowadays it feels like our culture is like very action oriented, like things need to happen. Like you can't just stop and like have someone soliloquy for 20 minutes. Like you have to like if someone doesn't shoot someone with a phaser in the first five seconds, like people are going to tune out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like. When you were talking about, well, has something done this better? I feel like, I mean, maybe, but like, it's also like surrounded by action. Like, it's not just like the sole focus of an episode or a movie for, you know, a 20, you know, whereas Star Trek's like a 20 to 40 minute show. And it's like, 
well, this is going to be the entire episode. Like, is Data a human? Let's talk about what the meaning of humanity really is. Like, no one's shooting each other with fucking black. Like, there, there's not, not a gunfight. You know, no starships are blowing up. It's just like, what do we think Data is? And that's it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Dan. Um, yeah, I don't. I can't really think of a show that's quote unquote done this better. But like, uh, I can tell you one that's done it worse, and that's Star Trek Picard. <laughs> <laughs> So are you watching that too right now? Uh, I'm watching Red Letter Media review it, and it's hilarious. Okay. It's 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 the most entertaining days of my adult, of my life is when I get to see those videos <laughs> of them just hating it. <laughs> That's one of those shows that I have like never even thought about watching because I've never seen Star Trek: The Next Generation. So like, why would I watch Star Trek: Picard? But yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation is on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. Dan, what have you been watching? Oh man, uh, the real question is what haven't I been watching? Uh, which I, I've been watching a lot of stuff. I'm taking advantage of the work from home. Uh, I, I'll keep I'll keep this part real brief, but I want to talk about other things uh, which are more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, my girlfriend has conned me into watching The Real Housewives of New York. Oh jeez! Now, uh, good I, lord! It is because I love her with uh, great strength. I, I love her that much. Uh, but it, it's trash reality TV show, like. It's a, a bunch of rich people who, like, claim they're not, like, who are like, oh, yeah, I don't feel guilty about being privileged, and, yeah, we caused the housing crash of 2008, and, like, there, there's some levels of self-awareness, but, like, ultimately these people are just the stupidest people, except for Bethany Frankel, who is uh, our lord and savior among reality TV stars, as she is extraordinarily <laughs> self-aware and extremely self-deprecating, which uh, I greatly appreciate. But... Uh, I come to you today, all of you movie marathoners, listeners, uh, to tell you about the word of B-movies. Uh, everyone should watch B-movies every now and then. Uh, we have B-movie Saturday in our house, and while I don't recommend watching a B-movie every single Saturday, uh, I recommend watching one every once in a while, because when I go on Twitter sometimes, uh, someone will say, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. And I say, that's incorrect because you haven't watched enough B-movies. And I know this because you're someone who just sits at home and watches cinematic movies. Uh, B-movies can range from anywhere from, like, the canon movies to, like, uh, shot on VHS movies or anything like that. Anything in between. You know, everyone's favorite B-movie is The Room. And that The Room is a disaster. But there are many more movies like The Room. Take, for instance, Alien Private Eye. It's a, it's a movie that they shot because, like, I don't know, uh, the main actor sucks. Like, everyone everyone and every little piece of it is bad. And you've never really had that. You think you understand what bad is. But then you watch stuff like Alien Private Eye, Things, Feeders, Project Metal Beast, and you're just like, no, I've gotten it wrong. I never really understood what bad movies were until this moment. <laughs> So, okay, that was a, that was great. You can step off the soapbox for a second then. Um, (laughs) So where do you get these then? Like, are they on Netflix? They're on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime is the perfect place to find some B movies for your B movie Saturday. It's very off brand. Oh, sure. But like, I, I don't always like watching Netflix because like anytime I watch something on Netflix, I feel like I have to talk about it. Mm. So I will like go onto any streaming service other than Netflix and be like, I'll watch this instead. So that way I don't have to talk about this and this can just be for me. But then eventually I do talk about it because I want to bring everyone into my circle of, hey, come watch this garbage can of a movie with me. Let's talk about how bad this movie is. Let's talk about its merits, you know? There, mm-hmm. there are still you can still have an intellectual yeah oh my god if I could say intellectual that'd be great discussion <laughs> about B movies and movies that are awful like it, it's still possible and you can talk about your love of film and like you know what could this movie do better other than you know rewrite the script bring in new actors get a new cinematographer get a new director <laughs> like there there's ways to to talk around it like it you know broaden your horizons watch something that isn't made to be good it's just made. And it just is the worst thing ever because no one knew what they were doing. So does it give you like a better appreciation <laughs> for quote unquote bad movies that actually are competently made? Or I guess I, I like my main problem. So I, I've tried to watch The Room. Uh, I saw The Disaster mm-hmm. Artist. I thought The Disaster Artist was an amazing film. And I was like, okay, 
right after this, I'm watching The Room. So I watched The Room and I was after about 30 minutes, I was just like, I can't, I can't do this to myself. It's just mm-hmm. like after the charm of being like, oh, that was the thing that they just referenced kind of wore off. I was just like, this is brutal to watch. So how I, I don't even know what kind of question I'm asking. I, I just am sort it's of an acquired skill in order to learn how to watch B movies. Like it's not easy. I'm not going to say I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is the well, easiest thing. In the I world. remember <laughs> I remember when I made you watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space and you were just so mad at me. Yes. <laughs> like that's that's a B movie that I hate. And I'm sure if I went back and watched it now, I would love it. Like uh, another movie that is lost in the lures of Netflix and Swill is uh, a, we, we reviewed a trauma movie called Hectic Night. And I originally hated that movie. And Caleb, I wouldn't say loved it, but it has like a fondness oh, and appreciation for it. I fucking loved it. I own three copies of that movie somehow. <laughs> you, the only three copies, probably. Well, that's true. That's 100% <laughs> correct. I, I mean, they, they've sent him so many copies for him to just keep talking about it. But like... <laughs> We watch those movies and we're just, you watch those movies and like, you have to build up a tolerance. Like there will hit a point where you're going to find a B movie. If you just keep at it, if you, if if you find a B movie, eventually you're going to find one that you love. You're going to recommend, you're going to recognize it's trash. Like I don't like any of the movies on like an objective level. Like everything about it is bad. But you wind up appreciating it on a level of, like, you just laugh at it the whole time about how ridiculously stupid it is. Like, uh, I watched Things the other day, uh, and the first five minutes are the most ludicrous thing I've ever seen put to shot on video, ever. So at what point, though, then does it become, like, more productive to be to realize, like, maybe I shouldn't watch these movies. I should watch, like act, like, good films that I haven't seen before. Like so, so I I understand the idea that like mm-hmm. seeing bad things um is good and talking about bad things is good because it helps you understand like from a process level what makes a film good right that that's my understanding of like what sure. the uh, the goal of watching these films would be correct well also a, a baseline entertainment value right for yeah me, but so I I don't know I guess I could just I I would feel guilty being like. Well, I, maybe this is a bad example, but I haven't seen The Godfather, so am I really going to watch two trauma movies when I should watch The Godfather? Depends. Uh, hmm. It's it's a good question. Like, I feel like I have a good mix of, quote-unquote, good movies. Like, I watched uh, Inception again recently. And, you know, I, I balance it out by watching uh, Project Metal Beast or uh, <laughs> uh, Sleepaway Camp. You know, I, I, you know, you, you got to find the balance for you. Like, I, let's say you watch 10 movies you've never seen before that are, you know, good or acclaimed of some, uh, or like someone recommends to you, like, Hey, I really like this movie. Go check it out. And then balance it out with like one garbage can on Amazon prime, you know, and that's just throwing it out. Like maybe it's 20, maybe it's 50, maybe it's a hundred, maybe it's two, like every, every two good movies you watch one trash can. Right. And it's it's all about finding your balance on how you want to appreciate like bad movies. And I understand like yeah, it, it, you're, there's going to be points where you feel like you've wasted your time. Like I watched Hollywood Cop and I'm like this is the worst thing ever and I actually fell asleep at the like right as we were reaching the climax cuz I was so tired and I was like this movie sucks. But like you get those every now and then. It happens. All right. Well, this neg of an ad was uh brought to you by the Netflix and Swole podcast. They are <laughs> being, their pockets are being lined by uh, trauma pictures. So um, no, very, very interesting points. Um, maybe I'll let you guys know when uh, I will myself to watch one of those movies. I will give you some recommendations when we're done here. Okay, sweet. Uh, if the word gets out that we've been lining our pockets with trauma money, we'll be ruined. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the thing that I watched uh, was I finally completely caught up from the beginning. Uh, I watched Better Call Saul. You will atone! What can we do for you, Jimmy? The money is beside the point. Money is the point. Does this stream payday to you, huh? You know, Jimmy, in our line of work, you can get so caught up in the idea of winning to forget to listen to your heart. Ooh, there you go. My girlfriend loves you now. Awesome. So, uh, well, I was 
told to do this because my girlfriend was like, oh, you should watch this before season five. And then I. Oh, my God. Do we have the same girlfriend? That would oh, be this, awkward. Is, this is awkward. Do you have stars? Because we, we need stars. No, unfortunately, we don't. Damn. Never mind. All right. Um, so, yeah. Have you, have you guys seen this show? No, I haven't even seen Breaking Bad, which uh, oh, wow. being that it's my girlfriend's favorite, like one of her favorite shows of all time. Uh, I'm surprised I'm not dead as we speak. <laughs> what about you, Caleb? Nah, I, I also haven't seen Breaking Bad. Oh, man. OK, well, so Breaking Bad is really good. I think that's a pretty obvious thing to say. Uh, I think the less obvious thing, although it's becoming more and more obvious, is that Better Call Saul is fantastic. And I think. The thing that makes this show so good is that there's something about the way that Vince Gilligan makes television that makes you feel like you're just watching a master at work do his craft. Uh, So just from the start of the first episode, I knew that the series was going to be good and you can just kind of feel the excellence on screen the entire thing because everything in the film or in the TV show is purposeful and thought out. And all the characters, each one of their actions is meant to tell you something about that character or tell you something about the world that they live in. And a thing that separates this show from a lot of other prestige shows is that there is a heart to the the film or the show and a heart to the characters that is often lacking in a lot of these like really high drama kind of shows. But like the thing that I really just really, really love about this uh, show is that you don't ever have to worry that it's going to be good. So I feel like whenever something on Netflix pops up, this like, oh, that's a new show. And yeah, it seems like it might be interesting and the trailer looks good and it's got people that I care about and actors that I think are generally pick good projects. There's always a part of you that's like, oh, no, what if, you know, this episode is going to be bad or what if I'm going to be bored Mm -hmm. by it or what if this doesn't pay off? For some reason, Better Call Saul, just you are able to watch the show completely relaxed, knowing that you're going to have a good to great 45 minutes of television. Hmm. So, I mean, obviously I wouldn't recommend this show if you haven't seen Breaking Bad. Um, I it, it It's interesting because it, it is definitely a, a prequel series. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the hardest things that a prequel series has to do is come up with a way to make things happen when you know where those characters are ultimately going to end up. And I think this show does a really good job of that. Like it, you constantly feel like the characters that you know are safe because they're in Breaking Bad are in peril. Like your brain gets tricked into thinking, oh no, how are they going to get out of this? And then you also have all these new characters that are not in Breaking Bad. So your first instinct is to be like, well, I shouldn't get invested in them because they're probably going to die because they're not in Breaking Bad. Um, But you still end up really caring about those characters. And so, I mean, this is a standalone show. Like, it's a show that it doesn't rely on, like, cheap references to Breaking Bad to make the show. But I do think that you generally need an understanding of the Breaking Bad universe. And I think the show kind of assumes that everybody who's watching it has that background knowledge. Sure. But I don't know, guys. I would definitely, definitely recommend this show and Breaking Bad. But I'm sure, you know, I'm not the only person in your life saying that. (laughs) Yes, Right. And that's why I haven't watched Breaking Bad is because I've heard about it too much that like now in my mind, it's so built up that it's Mm -hmm. going to disappoint me no matter what. Even though people say that, you know, even though I say that, you know, it it still won't disappoint me because it really is that good. But uh, I assume that everybody is a liar. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's a really good point. And that happens all the time. It's like this weird thing where once something becomes so popular, it's really hard to will yourself to watch it because until you do, it's in that state of, oh, this is a good thing that I can always at some point go to Mm -hmm. if I ever want like something good. But the second that you start watching it, you run the risk of like exposing it as not being as good. And then you just get frustrated, right? So I think that's totally fair. And I think that was part of the reason why I didn't watch Better Call Saul for so long. Like the show has been on for like five or six years at this point. Right. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it just takes somebody to like sit you down in front of a TV and turn it on in front of you or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how it was with Real Housewives of New York for me, so. And didn't that work out great? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I don't think about the show whenever it's done, but, you know, when when it's on, I'm enjoying myself. So, 
is that show like still going? Or are you watching? Oh yeah, reruns. No, we are watching. It's all on Hulu. So I, I've covered the gamut of other streaming services that aren't Netflix for us. Nice. But yeah, the, all the seasons are on Hulu uh, except for the newest season, which is currently airing on Bravo. But we're not watching that. Like we're we're catching up to live television. But so, eh. and we're going at our own pace. Like it's whenever I kind of feel like watching it. And it's like, eh, you haven't brought it up in a few days. I guess it's time to watch a, a couple more episodes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I mean, your choices are Desperate Housewives of New York or wait, is it is that what it's called? Real Housewives. Real Housewives of New York or um, Better Call Saul. So I will let the listener decide which one they can uh, <laughs> choose from. <laughs> come, come on. Give them a real give them a real like trial here. Like, come on. <laughs> All right, so this has been our review of the Netflix original film, Extraction. Uh, Caleb and Dan, thank you guys for joining me again. Um, I know we put this together a little bit last minute, so I really appreciate you guys just rolling with the punches. Hey, thanks for having us. No problem. Man, somebody with a tiny penis just drove past my house. (laughs) Did you hear that really loud truck? No, actually, I'm very impressed with that uh, very tiny penis, man. (laughs) I didn't hear it at all from here, but I will... Make sure to like keep that noise in your audio track. Maybe just add in like a yeah. add in like a fucking rocket ship taking off in the background. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, is there anything you guys want to plug while you're here? Like I don't know, maybe a podcast or something. Uh, yeah, uh, live stream <laughs> for the cure. It's actually an event we put on with the Epic Film guys every year. Uh, I, I'm like the background producer for it, so I m- help make the. Uh, the event go every year. Uh, we're doing a segment again for it this year. Uh, what the fuck did you... Oh, Under, Undercover Grandpa. That's the movie that Caleb chose as our cautionary tale of Netflix. <laughs> uh, this is on Netflix? It's on Netflix. And so this doesn't count as a yep. B movie? I mean, it might. But it's a, it's, a, it's a very poorly regarded movie that's on Netflix that we try to warn people away from. Or maybe if it's good, you know, we tell them uh, it's a good movie. But it's Undercover, undercover Grandpa. And uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but... Live stream yeah, for the cure. Has, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, what's the dude's name in James it? Con. Um, uh, James Conn. James Conn. That's what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I couldn't hear you. Uh, I couldn't hear you. There's so many loud trucks. Uh, well, damn those loud trucks. But yeah, uh, live stream for the cure. You can visit it at livestreamforthecure.com. Uh, basically, it's four, 48 hours of live streaming content to help raise $10,000 for cancer research. Uh, you know, we like to make stupid jokes, but we also like to, you know, give back to the community and in, in our own way. And, you know, you guys can help by uh, either a sharing the event because we know times are tough for a lot of people right now. There's like the jobless rate in America is uh, insane. Uh, but if you can give, give uh, any amount is, uh, is appreciated. So livestream for the all spelled out real simple. And uh, I'll send Maddie the link so he can uh, include it in the show notes. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's that's really, really awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. And I will definitely try to donate and be part of it in any way I can. That's that's really great. Yeah. And also, check out Rabbit Ears. Yeah. Netflixandswill.com slash Rabbit Ears. Sorry, I jumped on your thing. Oh, that's fine. Uh, they talk about TV shows with a rotating cast of characters. Um, the The podcast does, like... Not specifically shows that have rotating characters. Um, <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Uh, pretty soon we're going to be doing BoJack Horseman, so I get to watch all of that again and talk about it at length. Yes, it's the best show on which Netflix. Which is the thing that I've always wanted to do for Netflix and Swill that Dan wouldn't let me. So. Wait, what? We, we talked about the whole damn thing. What are you talking about? <laughs> we, th- no, those, are our, those are our longest uh, episodes. No, we decided not to do a, a retrospective because retrospectives are dumb. We tried we'll go one on time a different podcast and uh, talk about it, and it, it went horribly. So we learned from that, and never did it again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, so <laughs> speaking of shows that are like supposed to be really, really good, and me being scared to start them, as I've never seen BoJack Horseman, and that's one of those ones where I'm like, just people have said it's so good that I've never gotten around to watching it. But that's fair. But it is so good. Yeah, it takes a little time to get into. That's what I've heard. You have to yeah. give it about five or six episodes, and then you'll be like, "Okay, I get it." Like it starts off as like a goofy comedy show, but then it starts to evolving into like the psychosis of of human of like humanity. 
uh, all centered around anthropomorphic animals. And it's like really weird, but it's still really funny when it's getting into psychoses. Like hmm. uh, there, there's an episode surrounding depression and like how someone with depression lives through their life, which is my favorite episode still. Uh, you know, they get very experimental starting in season three with, with how they tell their narrative. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that one out. So uh, I will provide all the links to Rabbit Ear TV and Livestream for the Cure in the show notes. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com, and we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by Chin Lin from the Bingeables podcast to run through Westworld Season 3. That is a show that I have a very strong love-hate relationship with with emphasis on the hate so it should be a fun time <laughs> yes follow maddie on on hmm. twitter to understand that that whole saga yeah <laughs> so until then bye you've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And action. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.